Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm uh, your co-host, Ken Krantz. And I'm your main host, Chip Chantry. That's that's fucked up. (laughs) I'm still I'm still trying to like because a few weeks ago when I was like, I'm your host and then you got all you got all salty on me. And so now I'm I'm still trying to to make up for that. I get sweet and salty sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like kettle corn. That's what they, that's why they call me kettle corn. That's like my nickname because I'm like tough, but fair. Like, like kettle corn is. That's your nickname. I yeah. Thought. Everybody calls me kettle corn. Well, I actually, I mean, basically they, they call me uh, the Fox also. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. Viper and the Fox. So um, we have a guest today. Viper. Should I bring him in? Yes. So I always like to preface the guest if he doesn't know. Uh, we we were given the nicknames. It, it came up. I don't even remember what episode, but I think it was the Johnny Good Times one, the Shanker Laws yeah. one, where he called you Viper, or I called you Viper, and then he called me the Fox. So we're Viper and the Fox, just like any good morning radio program. It's uh, I love rock and roll with Viper the Fox. Coming at you. Coming at you. Uh, coming at you this week with a very special guest. Uh, Uh, One of my favorite comedians, I'll say that a young gentleman who came up through the Philadelphia comedy community uh, was in is in the great city of Los Angeles for the last few years. And uh, he's uh, a very, very funny guy. His number of albums out. Uh, He's been seen on Comedy Central. Uh, Stuffed Boy is maybe my favorite album of he. Uh, And his name is uh, our very special guest. Mr. Blake Wexler is with us. Blake, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. You can call me Crows, of course. So thank okay. you for having me on. I'm very excited to be here with the Viper and Kettlecorn. And uh, yeah, no, this is this is great. It's great seeing you guys. Yeah, Viper and Kettlecorn doesn't have quite the same ring to it. I, th- I think it should be Kettlecorn and Viper, not to take oh. precedent. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe it was that yeah. I had the order reversed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that was it. Yeah, <laughs> that hey, most certainly was. So before we get into uh, today's topic, we got our first piece of fan mail. Oh yes, we did. But it wasn't really fan mail. No, it was whatever the opposite <laughs> of fan mail is. It was, um, I guess somebody heard our Runaways episode, mm-hmm. and you might remember the Runaways manager, Kim Fowley, who is, um, by all accounts, a uh, rapist. Yes. And uh, Kim, uh, Kim, by the, Kim, by the way, is a gentleman. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he was he was the he was the one that put these like fifteen year old girls together and would throw dog shit at them to to get them ready to 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 play dive bars and shit. You know, like you do, as, of course, as, as one does. And um, this gentleman did not care for us poking fun at Kim Fowley's expense. And I got I was at a uh, I was at a bar show Saturday night and I got a message from uh, I'm I don't know if he's listening. Cardiacs forever. Twenty five. I don't know if you need to know like cardiacs one through twenty four to to really get a feel for this guy, but you do. <laughs> but he wanted to know. I couldn't make sense of all of this, but it went. Uh, which comedians? Oh yeah, how much money have you made? You want to make money off the back of Kim Fowley's memory? Try it. And then he wrote, "You motherfuckers." Um. <laughs> 
And I wrote. Can I ask how he punctuated that? If there's any punctuation whatsoever, because I believe was there a comma in there or just there was uh, no, there was just a question mark at the end. Um, Good. No commas. uh, Kim Mm -mm. and then Fowley's memory is one word. As yeah, yeah, industry standard, of course. Yes, and then motherfuckers is actually spelled uh, F uh, pound sign C J E R S. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't think that's the proper way. Now, so, do you guys want to apologize for what you did on that podcast now, or do you going to do that at the end? Uh, well, that was a dispute that Ken and I had. We had a very long conversation. I wanted to issue a long, very heartfelt apology. Ken mm-hmm. seemed to differ. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You wanted to do a short, brief, concise apology. Right. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to right. take up too much time apologizing. <laughs> so, but then I, I responded, I said, I'm sorry, what's this about? And then I said, but to answer your question, so far we've made a cool million off this podcast, mm-hmm. as most podcasters do in their first mm-hmm. couple months. Yes. And then he wrote, um, Do you even have Joan Jett and the co writer's provision? To use the name title for your podcast, no, and I don't think she'd be too happy about it. Your feelings about Mr. Fowley made her career. So that's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, no, we didn't get, for the record, we didn't get Joan Jett's provision to, to use, to use mm-hmm. the title. But Joan Jett mm-hmm. didn't write the song, and the, the two gentlemen that did are no longer with us. And um, I like how he pivoted to calling him Mr. Fowley. Like we gotta put we gotta put respect on this dead creep's name, Mr. Fowley. <laughs> and then I responded, "You may want to avoid the Spade Cooley episode if you're a big Western swing fan." And yeah. um, that was the last I heard of him. So I'm guessing Which I think was was a nice way to leave it. You're giving him some positive advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he might not have liked how that one turned out. We didn't have we didn't have glowing things to say about Spade Cooley either. No, we did not. But um, that's it. I just wanted to say if anyone else has uh, been triggered by any <laughs> any of our music podcast, uh, feel free to direct message me. Well, I also have a spinoff podcast of this called Fally's Pallies, and uh, it's all it's all growing, just glowing thoughts about him. So if you want to okay. listen to that, yeah, well, that's available. Then Cardiacs uh, Forever Twenty Five Fally's mm-hmm. Pallies might be your podcast. Maybe that's right. maybe we're just this wasn't the Kim Fally podcast for you. Um, all right, you want to? Uh, should I introduce today's topic? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, we are. There's been a lot of bicyclists getting hit by cars. What are we talking about this week? <laughs> oh my god! You know that's how my that's how my dad died. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> now I'm triggered. Um, <laughs> but, but, oh, by the way, I have to tell you this: there, there's bells going off in the background. I don't think you can hear it. the church bells. There's a there's a uh, Catholic church right around the corner from us, and at twelve ten. I know, right? Um, it's run by the Pope. <laughs> he, co- <laughs> he swings by every once in a while. Uh, it's every day at 12.10 and at 6.10 Eastern Daylight Time, because then it changes to 1.10 and 7.10 uh, Standard Time. Uh, there's like a song, the song goes off, you know, like there's there's a couple of songs that they play, religious songs. It's not like, you know, they don't play any like Depeche Mode. It's like, you know, it's it's some hymns, but it's it's in the bell tower. And but also on the hour, the bells ring. They chime 
the, the, the time. And uh, the other day I was sitting in my living room and the windows were open and there was two women walking past and the bells start chiming. And the one lady goes, oh, my God, is that the Liberty Bell? <laughs> now, we are in Philadelphia, so I will grant her we are in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. The Liberty Bell is about a mile and a half away from where I am right now. And it's broken in mm. indoors. I feel like broken is a big part of it that people Huge. would know. Like I even in school, I remember learning like there's this really great bell, but you can't hear it because it's broken. And did you know that the the crack that you know in the Liberty Bell, the main crack, the crack that kills, that's not the crack that really did that away. There's another worse crack that goes basically horizontally across the top that made it really structurally unsound. So that's actually the crack that I think disabled it. It wasn't necessarily the crack that we know of. Interesting. Blake, your thoughts? Well, my favorite AM radio stations in Philadelphia are 610 and 1210, actually. And that's not okay. a bit. That's not yes. a bit. And I won't okay. be doing any bits on this podcast. That's the truth. That's Can I plug radio on this? No, no, you may <laughs> okay. not. All right, then I won't. Please. Edit this, it out. This is internet radio, so please mm-hmm. don't do that. Of course. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to move ahead and introduce the topic. Um, this week, we are covering the bell outside of Chip's apartment. Yes, and uh, playing. We've been playing great songs literally since the the late eighteen hundreds. Yes, they've been around forever. Still doing it. Now this this week we are discussing Twisted Sister. Um, who this was another one of those stories where we were just throwing names around and then um dug into it and I was I was really blown away at how cool a story it was. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. You, you dig into it. And if there's anybody who wants to send us an email telling us that it's not an interesting story, we're not going to take it. <laughs> we're not going to take it. And we will rock you. Yeah, we will. Uh, <laughs> was that was that Twisted Sister? I yeah, don't Queen, know. Queen, st- Queen stole that from Twisted Sister. Yes. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people don't know that. Hacks. Um, yeah, so I was I was sort of, you know, I I'm not a big fan of uh, like 80s. I don't know what you want to call it. Hair metal, I guess yeah. mm-hmm. I was. I was nope. Nor am I. I was not a big fan. I didn't really know anything about them, you know, other than the we're not going to take it video. But um, I did see that they had a documentary on Amazon. So I was like, well, let's give this a shot. And it ended up being super, uh, it ended up being super interesting. Mm -hmm. So the thing with this band is uh, it's a pretty convoluted timeline. There there were literally dozens of members, um, you know, people going in and out. So we're, I'm. I'm going to go light on on some of the details, because if we start getting into like band member names, we're, we're going to be here for an hour. Well, I think there the one is thing one that... band member name that I think is worth bringing up, Chip. Then who is that? Uh, someone had the name Fingers, I believe, in the band. Is that is that yes. true? Yes. What was yeah. their name? Their full name? Because just like you said, you know, uh, uh, Kettle Corn and Viper, you know, like there is uh, something to the ring of the name. Do you know the full? Because the full name I, fa- I found was great and I should have had it in front of me before I had this riff. Do you know what it was? Is it is what it, I did was pull up the Celebrity Apprentice finale with uh, D. Snyder in it. And that's oh, what I have to talk about later. But yeah, this guy had a great, great name. But I'm sorry. Oh. I, I know. Uh, yeah. 
uh, Eddie F- Eddie Fingers or Jada. I yeah. think it is. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. Great, just perfect cadence, and uh, that's iambic pentameter, isn't it? Oh, it one hundred percent is. Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Ken. I interrupt. I interrupted you uh, poorly, and I apologize. No, I no, no. That was. <laughs> and, and and I believe I believe it is pronounced Ojeda because I think that's how they said it in the documentary because it looked like it would be like Ojeda with a with mm-hmm. a J like an H. So I don't want to mispronounce it, but I believe it's Eddie. But fingers, I'm definitely pronouncing correctly. I know that. <laughs> Yes, hard yeah. F. Now, and I think the one thing that that, that, that he, it was pro- it's probably after the lakes, right? I'm guessing that's how he got right. the yeah. yeah he, he yes, huh. he came from the Finger Finger Lakes region. Uh, he was he was a vintner, a wine connoisseur, and uh, he was like, let me let me start playing guitars and doing some backing vocals from 1975 to 87, and then in 88, and then in 97, <laughs> and then 2001, and then 2003 to 2016. Because it's funny, normally someone with the nickname Fingers either has massive fingers or no fingers whatsoever. Like, that's generally how you would get that right. nickname. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, it's uh, Finger Lakes. I would. Ass- yeah, I would assume he has all of his fingers. It's, it's kind of like when mm. it's like, you know how when you get a new band member in your band and you're like, uh, can he play guitar? Is he really good? Is he charismatic? It's like, I just care that he's healthy and he's got 10 fingers and 10 toes. <laughs> you know how you say that when somebody comes into yeah, a band? It's a form of discrimination. Right, right. Uh, it, it really is. It is ableist. And I, I'm looking up to see if I can find out why he's fingers. I'm assuming it has something to do with a guitar, but I don't know. And I guess now's a good time. Uh, we, we've sort of revealed this and spoiler alert, just for people who aren't big fans of Twisted Sister, don't know much. Twisted Sister wasn't one woman it's a, it is a group of men. Mm. So twisted sisters, not just a, like a lady <laughs> who sings. It is actually a group of g- plural gentlemen. Right. It's not Joan Jett. It's not. Okay. Okay. I don't get sued. Not, yeah, we're 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 yeah. Please don't bring up Joan Jett. We're already in some <laughs> potential legal problems with her and cardiac forever. Um. So in this band starts in Hohokus, New Jersey. In 1972, formed by guitarist J.J. French. And uh, J.J. was a big, uh, he was a big fan of all the hippie music in the 60s, Grateful Dead, shit like that. And then one night he goes to Mercer Art Center and sees the New York Dolls. And like so many musicians of that era, he sees the New York Dolls and it completely changes his life. Like that night, he was like, this is what we should be doing. Glam rock is where it is. And um, they uh, they all begin to, he, he puts together a, a, a glam rock band they're, they all wear makeup and women's clothing, just like the New York Dolls. But he wants to do it in, in New Jersey. He says there's nothing like this going on in New Jersey. And um, he also said that he wanted the thing about the Dolls was they, they weren't known for being excellent musicians. It was more about the feeling. And he, he was, uh, he was a, a pretty good musician at the time, very proficient guitar player. And he thought, what if what if you put together a band like the New York Dolls, but where everybody could actually play? So he forms this band with bass player Kenny Neal. And um, he's got a funny story that, that we'll get into later. But they begin in 1972 and they start getting booked almost immediately. Um, by the time D. Snyder comes into the band four years later, they've already gone through uh, five or six lineup changes 
and have played 3,000 or so shows. That's before D. Snyder even shows up. Um, and, and I think I think it really goes to show, and, I, and we'll get into it, the like where they're playing these shows. Like, how does a band who's pretty much brand new play 3,000 shows in four years? Mm-hmm. Well, they were doing it. it it's it was all covers so back then you would you would like the 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 nightlife was either you can go to the movies or you can go see bands there wasn't too much else to do in in the tri-state area so they would they were playing led zeppelin and who and kink covers and you could you could play six nights a week at the same club and then move on to the next club and do six nights there. And they were up and down the Jersey Shore and the Hamptons and Westchester. They, they were playing everywhere but they were playing everywhere but New York City. Yeah. Um, they go through a few different lead singers. Um, one of them just. They, they had him for about nine weeks. They were very happy with him. And then one day he just never showed up and they never heard from him again. Like J.J. French in the documentary, We Are Twisted Sister, says, um, uh, we still don't know what happened to him. <laughs> like This guy just didn't show up. And 30 years later, nobody knows where he went. Um, they... Uh, they come close to breaking up a few times and then jj french takes over the lead vocals but he's got a limited vocal range and um then they bring in d snyder uh from long island who was in who was in a band at the time called peacock and uh, they take on a more heavy metal sound and they start drawing pretty big crowds um I believe Peacock, uh, that band was originally called CISO. Is that correct? It was called CISO and then it became Peacock. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. It, it was a, it was a larger, it was a shorter format. They would do, they would do like eight minute sets, right. <laughs> which you really can't get a lot of songs in. From no, them. no, that was the, that's why it folded. That's yeah. why they had to change it. Right. Yeah. And then after well, D Snyder left, they renamed it Paramount Plus. Right. Um, <laughs> well, and then. Oh my God. And then Eddie, and and as we all know, Eddie Fingers, he went off to uh, do a solo project called Quibi, which was was very, very short lived. Sad. And we all could have seen that coming. The whole, the whole idea was from day one, a mess. Yeah. 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 And that, ladies and gentlemen, in a nutshell, is glam rock. I think we covered it today. So thank you for to our guest, Blake Nexler. <laughs> thank you for really having appreciate me. coming out. Like and subscribe. So uh, with with D Snyder, they they start they start leaning into more of the heavy metal sound, and they start D Snyder starts getting over the top with um, the dresses and the makeup. Like they had all worn makeup. But uh, D. Snyder meets his wife one night. At the time, she was a 15-year-old girl. And um, but they they start dating. They're they're still married to this day. So, um, but she was a costume designer. So she would start making these outrageous costumes for D. Snyder. And then D. Started to get all this attention. The other guys in the band were they didn't really love it. Like they they didn't like that D. Was dressing like this. They thought that people were taking them as a joke, 
But then they started to see how much attention he got. Then they started calling D. Snyder. They thought he was Twisted Sister. So mm-hmm. once they saw him getting all this attention, they went to uh, D.'s wife, Suzette Snyder, and asked her. I mean, she was his girlfriend at the time, but they asked her if she can start making them costumes. And uh, she agreed. And that's when they sort of became, you know, like visually what what you what you think of when you think of uh, Twisted Sister. This is why I wish I was in a band instead of stand up. Like we can't do that as much. Like I think it'd be fun. Like I would love to play like tricks on you guys. Like if let's say the three of us started touring together and just one night I started wearing like an old like pork pie hat on stage like Yogi Bear <laughs> and then like like a week. But like everybody's like, boy, I really love his pork pie hat. And then like all of a sudden, like Ken starts wearing one and then Blake gets one. But then I just stop wearing it. And then they're like, who are these two dickheads with the pork pie hats? And then. <laughs> Well, it's because you got all the cool press from wearing it. Right. Ex- exactly. Yeah. I, could, I could get in with my credentials that were yeah. that were on my that were on my brim. Be like, wait, why are they calling him pork pie hat? Yeah. <laughs> so um, they they start drawing pretty big crowds back then. It should be noted. The drinking age was 18. So you had. So D. Snyder's wife was still three years away. <laughs> Being able to drink. <laughs> For being able to go to one of his shows. Right. But she was still there. Right. <laughs> to her credit, in, in the documentary, she says that she looked older than 15. And okay. um, no further questions. No, for, no further <laughs> questions are needed. But again, you know, here it is 2021 and they're they're still married. Um they uh they be they become known for like some pretty wild antics uh they they had a number every night where um jj french would take the lead for one song and it would be a cover of sweet jane by velvet underground and um he one night kind of spontaneously calls a couple audience members up to sing sweet you know and they would just get up and sing sweet jane sweet jane and then and then the crowd was like either applauding or booing based on whether or not they liked the 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 audience members singing so then they were like hey we should keep doing that so the next time they they bring a gong and they put a giant gong behind the stage and they'll call people up and then if the crowd doesn't like them they gong them off the stage and that was starting to catch on, but they thought that uh, they could they could maybe kick it up even a, a higher notch. And um, they started ordering the bartenders to give everybody shots when they came up. So they were getting the audience drunk and then you would come up a second, third, fourth time, like you would get off and then someone else would come on and do it. But then eventually you'd get back online and then and then uh, some of these people would have seven, eight, nine, ten shots. They uh, they told a story of one crowd member puking his guts up on on stage one night. Um, By the way, I hope this is what. (laughs) Uh, I hope this is what comedy shows are going to be like post covid. That's that's my hope. Is that they're gonna? I, that's what comedy shows were like pre-COVID. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Chips, like I hope absolutely nothing changes in in comedy. 
Um, I really like when D. Snyder would do the thing where he'd have an audience member come on stage and stand behind him and stick their arms between his arms. You know what I mean? And like do motions. Like I thought that was a really cool thing that Twisted Sister uh, pioneered as well. Do with rock and roll. So I told him, all you gotta do is smoke and join. Go down to the Fillmore East, and maybe, just maybe, you'll hear a song called Sweet Shame. You know, it's funny you say that because they they show a clip in in the movie of J.J. French coming up behind the other guitar player and and putting his arms through it and playing that guy's guitar. And but really well, like soloing and the two and the two guitar players would play them at the same time. They like would fall on the floor and roll around together while while playing uh, while playing the guitar. Um. I like how they picked like a show of the day, like the gong show, you know, of course, and that that makes total sense. Like, what if D. Snyder, J.J. French totally did it the wrong way? And they're like, (laughs) instead of doing the gong show, they're like, let's do the Dick Cavett show where they just stop the show. They bring out a coffee table and they sit down and talk to a person for 45 (laughs) minutes uninterrupted. Right. Or like Carson, like if they like the guy, D. D. Snyder would call them back to the table for an interview. (laughs) Just wait. All right. You're in. Yeah. Um, they also they became famous. Uh, this was right around the time disco was was big and uh, they became famous for um, whole interludes about how much disco sucks. And then people really like that. They were writing songs about how much disco sucked. Um, and then uh, I, I would love <laughs> I would love to see somebody try this now. And then they. uh would bring a, a man like a dummy an effigy of barry white onto stage oh, no yeah yeah this isn't going anywhere good oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they brought- buckle up blake <laughs> Ooh. it's it's going exactly where you think it's going um they would bring a barry white effigy onto stage and hang it and beat it like a pinata to represent how much they hated disco. Uh, and it went over like gangbusters. And then... Um, did you ever hear the thing that the Chicago White Sox did, Disco Demolition Night? Yes. Where, yeah. yeah, it was one of my... Just if you guys don't know what, uh, what it is. Oh, there it is. Um, it is a uh, essentially the White Sox. They had the shock jock uh, DJ. Who, I'm going to stop talking while my dog's barking and you guys can continue the show. <laughs> is, that, is, is that your dog or is that the Liberty Bell? Oh, it's the Liberty Bell. It's actually that. Yeah, I'm a mile and a half away from your home. My dog also has a crack uh, yeah. down the middle of it. Um, but essentially what they did is a shock jock 
uh, had uh, like basically everybody brought in um, their like disco records for the night. And it was first game of a doubleheader. And they put the uh, all the records in center field and blew them up. But they blew it up. The uh, demolition that they used was so strong. They blew a hole in center field. So they had to cancel the rest of the game <laughs> and like cancel the rest of the homestand because they blew up essentially the outfield. It was one of the biggest messes. Look it up. It's it's uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing that that actually happened happened um what like 30 years ago yeah there's there's years ago footage of it too i believe yeah um well and then that became like it was just like okay you know when i was a kid or whatever it was like okay disco sucks because you're just over it it was like everywhere so you're inundated with it so everybody's tired of it but what that that shock shock was it was i mean i guess it was no surprise but like in hindsight it was like really kind of a a like a, a homophobic thing because it was like yeah yeah, yeah and so it really and then i think we're obviously going to see where this is going with with uh, barry white uh you know where it's like this veiled thing that but well i, I don't t- t- tell the rest of the story but uh yeah i mean it gets uh it, yeah well it, i mean listen i'm i'm yeah. not I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna quote the documentary here but one night they end up somewhere upstate new york and um the guy who owned the club was a little too enthusiastic about how much he loved it um uh you know he he uh a lot of racial slurs uh in telling them how much he loved what they did to barry white the band claim that that never even occurred to them and that i love t snyder was like i'm from long island i don't have a prejudice bone in my body like long island i, I know isn't, yeah isn't the I'm most Jackson, racist mississippi yeah. i don't yeah. yeah i don't see color yeah i'm from miami i don't get sunburnt you're like no that's what people do yeah. there that's all yeah. it is yeah yeah, yeah. so um then they're they're kind of horrified but then i like they said um they stopped it immediately. So they were like, they we're not doing st- They stopped it immediately. And then what they did was they got an effigy of some white disco lady and put an electric chair up and then just electrocuted a white lady effigy. So I they like how that, yeah, they I like went, how that makes it all, all, all better. Yeah. You know, like, Problem instead solved. of just dropping it, they're just like, we're right. going to change this slightly. They were like, listen, this racism is not us. So let's just uh, dive into misogyny. Right. <laughs> um. But they are they're gathering this reputation as a must see live band and they've got rabid fans and they keep thinking that a record deal is coming soon because nobody can um, draw this many people and, and pack out clubs night after night after night without getting some kind of attention from the industry. Uh, but the industry wanted nothing to do with them. Um, the uh, Then at one point, their bass player who. So this I found very interesting. D. Snyder and J.J. French, the two driving forces in the band, um, don't drink at all. Like everything. It's just it's just shtick like they're 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 off stage they're like just normal blue collar dudes they don't drink they don't do drugs and their bass player is an alcoholic and he does drugs and and he's fucking up and and you know falling down during shows and and they kind of have to cover for him bass player finally goes to rehab and um becomes a born-again christian and then he he 
starts to feel like he's leading this double life because he's a born again Christian, but then he's on stage in a dress and um, he invites his church members to see a Twisted Sister show. And he asks them afterwards, do you think it's okay that I remain in this band? And they were like, no, because <laughs> Satan is speaking through D. Snyder and J.J. French's mouth. Like, this is the devil's music and you need to quit. So he quit. And he could have just dressed as a not a twisted nun and yeah, right. just yeah, really he, done. <laughs> and then the actual twisted sister. <laughs> but I like that he quit and he's telling he's telling these um, like completely not even sober in the fact like they quit drinking, but like sober, like they never drank. You know, they they didn't do anything like they they were. They were actually D. Snyder comes from like a Christian background, like a practicing Christian. And and this <laughs> the, the guy that does drugs and, and drinks is telling them that, that they're the devil's music. <laughs> um, that is interesting. The not, not disconnect, but like, you know, just this is who I am on stage versus this is who i am off stage you know like whenever you see like you hear even like in our business like stand-ups you know we knew people who were just so fucking nuts like on stage and whatnot you know and then you meet them off stage and it's like oh they're successful because they actually we may not like what they are on stage but this was a business decision that they made you know what i mean exactly yeah and and this is it's it's shtick it's a whole thing Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a whole thing and that's why yeah, it's just, it's bizarre how th- I mean, obviously, it's not bizarre. You, you understand why. But they're like, yeah, these guys are regular dudes, but they just they couldn't see that at all. You're right. The, the parallels between this Twisted Sister story and what some comedians are going through, like right now in present day, definitely jumped out at me mm-hmm. because they um, they eventually get to the point where they are. They're selling out everywhere they go. They're they're the house band at this big club in the Hamptons. They're they're playing five six sets a night. People and some are, of these clubs are like it's like two three hundred people. It's like three thousand people. Mm-hmm. Some of the capacity of these clubs that they're selling out five nights a week. And com- completely surrounding New York City, but never going into New York City because the the places in New York were were shitty clubs that that barely fit any people and um they just they didn't they i think they thought that they didn't need new york so then they get they get a manager and this manager has a brilliant idea he was like listen you guys are oversaturated let's we're, we're gonna get off the road for two months and then we're gonna announce one show in the city and they announce a show at the palladium which is a 3,500 seater. This is where very big mainstream acts come to play. Um, I was looking at the, uh, they had a flyer in the documentary that showed all the acts that were there like in a week. It was like Iggy Pop, Blondie, REO Speedwagon. It was like big established acts. So they announce a show at the Palladium and they have no record deal they've never had a song on the radio and they sell out the palladium in two days which is unheard of 
They're, and like people were people were like laughing at them. They're like, oh, this is going to be canceled within the week because it's going to sell nothing. Like people were just laughing at them like, who who do these guys think they are? And yeah, it sells out in 48 hours. Right. And they're, they were the only band to ever. I mean, when you think about selling out a 3,500 seat theater without having a song on the radio, mm-hmm. that's that's insane to with without even having a record like they don't even have a record out and they didn't even really advertise either like it was just kind of word of mouth and like they sold within the day they sold like almost 2000 tickets i think just from just from word of mouth right and then the ad goes in the village voice the next day and by the end of the second day it's completely sold out um and then they're they assume all right, well, now somebody's going to come see this and we're going to get a record deal. Um, a bunch of record executives do come to the Palladium show. By all accounts, they blow the roof off the place. And there's people lined up down the street to come in and see this. And all the record executives are like, pass. It, which is like, if you think about that now, like how it, it, it almost reminds me of like the comedy gatekeepers. Like, how do you not see that you're going to make money with this band? Who even cares if you personally like the music? How is not how is somebody not having dollar signs, you know, flash in their eyes when they see this? Right. I was thinking, too, you know, maybe like they were. Th- oh, well, they're so visual, you know, but obviously it's still music. So it was just making me laugh as if like like uh, Carrot Top releasing uh, like an album, just a purely audio <laughs> album. Just well, like- Jeff, Jeff Dunham has audio albums out and he's a ventriloquist. It's a, that is the level of narcissism that you have to have to think that your puppet that because in his mind, I guess, maybe he has convinced himself that they're not puppets. And actually, the appeal of his act is not like making it seem like he's not speaking while his puppet's speaking. Maybe that is it. And he's like, no, it's just the material. Let the material shine through. <laughs> what if? <laughs> What if there was like like band infighting with Jeff Dunham and his his trunk full of secrets? Like they were just like the old man gets really like he gets crotchety and mad. And then like the jalapeno on the stick is like, I was here since the beginning, you know? And then, yeah, I, and I, I I think that would be that's the show that I would watch. That's the documentary. It's just Jeff Dunham in a van with all the puppets like strapped in. Mm-hmm. And they're just arguing on on the way to a gig. <laughs> the racist puppet, like the terrorist thing, didn't yeah. like how PC the rest of the act was getting. And he's like, right. listen, I'm out of here. And he's he's doing a solo thing with like Joe Satriani. And they're like, no, this is not. <laughs> I wonder, like, if you listen to the album, if just like every few minutes is like, trust me, I'm I'm not moving my lips. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just got to trust me on this one. <laughs> so um so out of out of selling out the palladium uh with no airplay and no record deal and everybody passes they finally get somebody from epic from epic records who says all right i want to see the palladium show and they're like what the palladium show was last week <laughs> <laughs> he says no, he he 
he's going to come. He wants them to put on the same show they did at the Palladium. And it's 11 o'clock in the morning and he's going to come on his lunch hour and they're going to rent out a giant uh, hall and do the show that they did at the Palladium. So instead of going to see it with thousands of fans and seeing how people reacted and seeing how much merchandise they sold, he he thinks, I, I, I'm going to be able to understand all of this if I just go see it by myself. So like at 11 o'clock or, or noon, they they rent out this hall. They, they said there's one like portable folding chair way in the back. And, and a few minutes before they go on, the back door opens. And this guy, by the way, so they had to rent all their equipment and lighting and sound and the hall. And the deal they had with Epic was no matter what happens, we'll reimburse you. For, for the cost of renting everything. You know, you're, you won't lose money on that. You may get a record deal, but worst case scenario, you won't lose any money. So the guy from Epic comes, leaves before their set ends, and they never hear from Epic again, and they're stuck, and they get stuck with the bill for, for everything. Um, then they decide, maybe it's time to start printing our own records. They, they form their own record label. They, they're, they're never going to get a deal. They, they form, they, they start their own record label just to put out 45s of their singles that they would sell at shows or in local record stores. Singles always sold out. The, um, still, nobody seems to think that they can make money on this band that is doing nothing but making money on their own. Um, I thought there was some uh, there was some interesting stories. Like they one night, they, then they get this reputation as a very destructive band because one night they they go to play a club. Well, and before this, and I think oh, this wait. is where it kind of stemmed from. They played this place, Adventureland in on long island i believe it is which is like i guess like an amusement park with like a outdoor stadium and like people are like i think it was the band zebra was like oh, oh you'll yeah. probably get a few thousand people to come like i think they got like three thousand people to show up or five thousand people something like that and police estimates was that the night that twisted sister played at adventureland they had twenty three thousand people Jesus. show up it was right. just, they said cars just abandoned for miles People just flocked yes. to this. There was yeah. like there was this big office building that somehow the kids got a hold of and were like up on top of the office building across the street watching it. But twenty three thousand people, which showed up. Madison Square Garden holds like nineteen thousand people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you've got more people than at Madison Square Garden show up for this band and they still can't get a record deal. People yeah. are still like, nope, not for us. Um. So th then they they start coming to a crossroads because like club attendance starts dying off. They've just become oversaturated. Um, and this is also around the time where the drinking age went from 18 right. to 21. So they they're they're losing 18, 19 and 20 year olds. Right. You know, just yeah, they're right. They're, off they're, the bat. Yeah, they're losing. They're losing a big chunk of their core audience. Um, then they get this reputation that becomes hard to shake. So one night they show up for a gig and the club, the the place that owned the 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 manager of the club 
said it was hammerheads. Yeah, said it was the last night that they were going to be there. They were had they had some dispute with the landlord, and the guy says to them, "You can fucking trash this place. I don't care what you do to it. It's our last night. Have fun. Destroy it if you want." <laughs> and that's what they do. They they tell the fans like, "Hey, you can go nuts," and it it starts a riot. They like they destroyed everything in the place they said people had left people were like dragging urinals out by the end of the night like there was nothing left and then you would think that clubs get wind of this and are like oh you're never you're never coming to my club but what happened was, I guess there was a bunch of clubs that were on the verge of going under that all had disputes. So they started getting phone calls like, hey, can you can we book your band and have you destroy the place? So they went on a little bit of um, they even had um, the bar where Saturday Night Fever was filmed, where John Travolta does his big dance off. That place called and was like, can you like. We're, we're changing over to a rock club and we're going to redo everything inside. Can you come like exercise the the demons of disco and and destroy the place? So then they went in and destroyed the Saturday Night Fever bar. They, they were all, not just a band, but also a demolition company as well. <laughs> yeah. Like they should have gotten some money for that. Which which, yeah. by the way, if you look at them without makeup, they look like a demolition crew like that. <laughs> yeah. That is for sure. That is a, a very good point. <laughs> Is it, I just want to say this is how much people hated disco. I, I saw the Rolling Stones. I want to say 2004 or 2005. And one of their encores, they played Miss You. Mm-hmm. And the guy behind me was screaming, disco sucks the entire time. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's like, dude, it's. He like, hasn't gotten let it go. I mean, like 9-11 was four years ago. Let it go. It's It's been <laughs> gone a long time. <laughs> Um, Twisted Sister finally gets. Uh, by, by, by the way, I, I will say in the early 2000s, I did have a bumper sticker that was just American flag mm-hmm. and it just said disco sucks. On it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's funny because I my favorite Rolling Stones song is uh, 9-11 was four years ago. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> um. They finally get a British label believes in them and shows a lot of interest and they get signed to uh, a label called Secret Records and they put out their first album in England. It becomes an underground hit and then they start writing material for the follow up album. They start writing what will go on to become We're Not Going to Take It and uh, but the the label goes bankrupt before before a demo can even be recorded and uh that album kind of disappears without a trace then there's a story where another label i don't remember which one another label finally is like yeah we're we're gonna sign you and the 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 guy from the record company is it the german guy the german company yeah I think X was the the name of the the company. The guy from the record company is he has some sort of like flight, like transatlantic, like he's I forget where. I think he was flying from Los Angeles to New York and then from New York to back to Germany. And he decides he's going to sign them. So the band literally meets him at at the the airport airport in New York. And he's like, yep, you're signed. They sign. They sign everything. 
Yeah. And he gets on the plane and heads back to Germany. And then later that day, they get a phone call. They're like, but the fucking guy died on the plane. Like he had a heart attack. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you don't have a record deal. The, the one guy that believed in you is dead. Yeah. So uh, th- this is now like they've now been they've now been around for 10 years, you know, still don't have a song on the radio in, in America. Um, Atlantic, finally, they, they finally somebody comes to their senses and they get signed by Atlantic Records, which is uh, ironically the ocean that that German guy <laughs> died over. <laughs> Uh, they they even said like they said they were they were so sure that nothing was ever going to happen. They said that when the guy from Atlantic showed interest, the band was joking like, well, listen, he, he's going to fly over and the plane's going to crash. And then even if the plane doesn't crash and he gets in the car to come here, then the uh, the he's going to get into a car accident and die. And even if he doesn't get into a car accident and die when he gets here. You know, like uh, like a like a riser is going to fall from the ceiling and like they they were just convinced that nothing was ever going to happen. Um, Atlantic finally signs them. They, they and what they did, Blake, for with what happened was he came to see that show that night. And instead of grabbing the effigy of that disco woman, uh, they actually put him in the electric chair by accident. Oh, no. <laughs> and, right. uh Sad, sad ending to that. Self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. Right. They were like, well, it's his fault for looking so much like Helen Reddy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So they finally get in, uh, in in 1983, they they release their first album. It does nothing. It it goes to like 130 on, on on the Billboard charts. You can't stop rock and roll. Then in 1984, they released Stay Hungry. That is their big breakthrough album. That's got We're Gonna Rock and We're Not Gonna Take It. Or I Wanna Rock. I Wanna Rock. And We're Not Gonna Take It. And then behind the strength of both those videos, it was still pretty early in in MTV's uh, heyday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was back when it was just nothing but wall-to-wall videos. And they went into real heavy rotation. And then that becomes their massive breakthrough album. And again, kind of going back to what Blake said, it's like that visual element, too, of like people are like they're just so charismatic and so crazy on stage and just so outrageous that like maybe if it I mean, I think those songs, those hits are are a lot of fun, but like. I just remember them from being a little, little kid, like seeing them on MTV. I don't remember them on the radio. I remember it being on MTV and seeing D. Snyder and then seeing uh, seeing them do the fake video to uh, Burn in Hell on Pee-wee's yeah. Bi- in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> like they were in that. So it was like they were just that the face of that. And that's what really brought Really they were them. they they were like they were like um, a live action cartoon. They were like cartoon characters. I, I, yeah. I, I yeah, I remember. Watching. Well, they they even said that, uh, and we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit. But uh, the thing that when he had to go to the uh, the Senate hearing for the uh, for the PMRC, which we'll get to, they were like, "Your songs are violent and they're they're you know destructive." And he's like, "Look at the lyrics; they're not." And then they were actually talking about the videos instead of the songs themselves. And he literally testified before Congress. He's like, "They were literally; it was almost a frame by frame remake of the uh, Wiley, Wiley Coyote, Coyote and, and, and the Roadrunner Runner cartoons. It's the most cartoonish violence 
against like the dad, who's of course the bad guy from Animal House. Yeah, and who what was it? Uh, Niedermeyer. I think Niedermeyer. I think that's who it was. But yeah, it was one of the bad guys, and he like played the dad. And it's 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 literally like Three Stooges level. Again, it's like a living cartoon. Like that's what yeah. they were going for, and it's hilarious. Right. So I, I want to get into the PMRC because to me that's the most interesting. That's the most interesting thing about mm-hmm. this story. So 1984, 85, Tipper and, Gore. And, and yeah, uh, go we should explain it to the listeners. Blake, could you tell everybody what uh, PMRC stands for? Uh, yes. Postmortem uh, Republican Convention. Yes. Uh, you. you know what? You're not far. <laughs> you're not that far off. It was. It was the. <laughs> It was the Parental Music Resource Center, but um, it it got into it. Here, here's the story, the best that I could understand it. At the time, Al Gore married to Tipper Gore, and they have an 11-year-old daughter, and I guess it was 84 or 85 when Purple Rain was, was uh, all the rage, and yeah. she comes home with the Purple Rain album, and they listen and they're listening to it. And of course, there's that song on Purple Rain, Darling Nikki, where uh, he talks about uh, masturbating with the magazine. Tipper Gore is horrified that this music is allowed to be sold to kids. And her and some other wives of Washington senators get together to figure out what can we do about all this filth in music and form the PMRC. They, um, one thing that they talked about wanting to do was putting like parental advisory, explicit lyrics, stickers on the albums. And all the artists were against that, thinking that that was, you know, uh, tantamount to censoring art, which, mm-hmm. which, you know, everybody was against. And they wanted to like give a rating scale to like movies like G, PG, PG thirteen. Like that, that was one of the ways they wanted to go as well. So um, they hold this uh, like a like a Senate hearing on on um, on you, you know how violent and and uh, sexual music is now. And the thing that that nobody realized at the time was that they'd already worked out an agreement with the record labels like these stickers were going on the labels. So the musicians who came thought they were coming to fight that. But it was like it was already a moot point. This was just kind of like, well, let's talk about it in a public forum. And we're going to I think they had in mind that they were going to make these musicians look really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry for what I'm about to say, but uh, no bit. My freshman year of high school, my friends and I used to hit each other in the uh, in the penises with uh, water bottles, and we used to call it Tipper Goring. <laughs> no bit. I swear to God, that's true. <laughs> it's like my friend Jeff <laughs> Tipper Goring me with a water bottle. <laughs> Uh, I also love how that where did that that come from like did did we for some reason thought the name Tipper because it was like I mean like it's a strange name like 2005 so we knew who Al Gore was and we knew that his wife had a very very funny name Tipper Gore so we just thought that that was was the only way we could refer to that (laughs) Tipper Gore me with a water bottle of course (laughs) what else could you possibly call it I can't think of a uh, she Barbara Bushed me like that's I mean, <laughs> kind of does. Yeah. I guess she's, that works as well. She doesn't have the same ring. She Cindy McCain'd me. 
Oh. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh my god. I remember I remember uh my my freshman year of high school. First day of freshman year of high school, I got Eleanor Roosevelt. It- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, it doesn't Oh my god! I, uh, I love how though the the sticker rating system kind of backfired though in the end because now bands consider it like a badge of honor. Well, that yeah, that's oh, yeah. that's what nobody saw coming was that <laughs> slapping those stickers on albums made them sell through the roof. So mm-hmm. it completely backfired on Washington. But um, so what I was reading today was that what they who they really wanted to testify was um. Vince Neal from Motley Crue. Okay. Because they knew that he was a complete, like, he lived the lifestyle that he sang about in his songs. So they wanted somebody who couldn't string a thought together that was that was probably drunk or doped up to to come in and make an ass of himself and then Congress could like ream him out and and show how how much they knew better than than these musicians. What ends up happening is they send um D Snyder they asked for D like somebody in Washington was like well if you can't get Vince Neal can someone send D Snyder because they figured this guy has to be as off of his rocker as any of these other guys that lived the lifestyle, having no idea that he didn't live this lifestyle whatsoever. They sent D. Snyder, um, Frank Zappa, and John Denver. Um, my uncle will tell you John Denver is a plain down to earth kind of guy. <laughs> really. Yeah, he tells me that anytime that's his John Denver joke. Anytime you mention John Denver, he's like, I ever tell you he's a real plane down the earth. Kind of. He's like, yeah, I get it. He died in a plane crash 20. Like, yeah, you don't have to tell me every single time that his name comes up. Um, But D. Snyder goes in and addresses all of Tipper Gore's. She Twisted Sister was one of was one of the main bands that the PMRC wanted to take care of, that they wanted them stomped out because she she saw the video and she thought that they were encouraging violence against adults. She thought that they wanted kids to, you know, go home and hurt their parents. Twisted Sister had a song called Under the Blade, which she claimed promoted um, sadomasochism and and hurting women yeah Yeah. but it's literally a song about going in for surgery You know you're not going home tonight Be it check or switch doctors of mind No way to run, never way you'll find You can't escape from the bed you made When your time has come, you'll accept the <laughs> Because the one, it might have even been Fingers Eddie Fingers, I think it was yeah, had to get had to get like polyps removed off of his like vocal cords or something like that. So literally, they wrote that song about going in for surgery. Yeah, like he was and, like, scared that's, to that's do it. Was. He was scared to go under the knife. 
and yeah. they wrote a song about surgery. And what what Tipper Gore did was they edited down. And this reminded me of comedy, too. Like, you know how somebody will take a joke out of context or, or, or you know, Huffington Post will will edit down what a comedian said and, and take something outrageous, but not show you everything that was said before and after. Right. They edited down these lyrics to make them sound like it was some kind of uh, violence or bondage. And then D. Snyder was like, no, he was like, you you guys, you guys did a, you know, this isn't right. Like we put the lyrics like you didn't even the lyrics are right here on on every album. And then um, and like he showed up to which is the greatest bait and switch. D. Snyder showed up. He looked like he looked like a like a motorcycle gang that joined the Mummers, like just like in his like, <laughs> yeah, like full regalia i think he was wearing the makeup i can't remember he, he wasn't makeup, he wasn't like, wearing the makeup but he but was he using the cut hair. off denim vest Amazing. and just look like a sneeze ball he's got the sunglasses on so they had when he walked in like frank zappa was in a suit i think john yep. denver was denver. in a suit yeah so when when he walked in they had to have thought like oh good like now now we can now we can show america how fucking dumb these guys are and they weren't prepared to, he was extremely articulate he had a counterpoint to every single one of their points and he absolutely dunked on them yeah um he made al gore look i mean like there's a couple times where al gore literally had nothing to say or just like <laughs> completely ran circles around him yes al gore by the way every here's how annoying wives are i think every senator in there because it was all the wives of these senators that got together and was like, you're going to do something about the music. Every one of those guys looked like they didn't want to be there. Like they all had <laughs> that, like, I'm only fucking here to shut her up look in their eyes. And um, Tipper Gore in one of her statements had said, you, you know, I saw you've got Twisted Sister T-shirts with uh, women uh, handcuffed and spread eagle on them. And Twisted Sister didn't make any T-shirts like that. Like D. Snyder was like, that's just an outright lie. You were making that up. We don't have shirts like that. Our, our lyrics don't promote any kind of sexism. He's like, we dress like women. We, we are welcoming to women at our shows. We want females to feel safe. He was like, so you, you're just a liar. He was like, if you have that shirt, I'd like you to produce it because that shirt doesn't exist. And um, and then Al Gore comes back and he was like, well, I guess somebody got to him and was like, we actually don't have this shirt. <laughs> we, we can't prove that this shirt exists. And then Al Gore started doing like some of that Bill Clinton, like, well, it all depends on what the definition of the, is, you know, like is, mm -hmm. is Al Gore was like, well, what we said, what, what, what Tipper said was you have these T, you have these twisted sister T-shirts, which is plural, <laughs> comma, and sh shirts with women spreading. He was like, so we weren't saying they were Twisted Sister shirts. We were just saying there are Twisted Sister shirts and then some other band. And then <laughs> D. Snyder was like, I have, I have her. He was like, I, I brought a tape. He was like, I have her on the news. I have that. That's not what happened. You're a fucking liar. Um, and then Al Gore, Al Gore shut up. And then one of the other senators says uh, to D. Snyder, he's like, you seem like 
And by the way, D. Snyder's completely calm. He's yeah. he's articulate. He's well thought out. He mentions his religion. You know, I'm a practicing Christian. I don't I don't sing about things I don't believe. These are fun songs. They're we we want the kids to come out and just get out some of their frustrations and go home and have fun. But we're inclusive. And one of the senators was like, "You're you seem awfully aggressive towards uh, Senator Gore's wife." And he was like, no, he was like, I wasn't talking to Senator Gore's wife. I was talking to Tipper Gore of the PMRC. And he was like, well, that's that's Senator Gore's wife. He was like, well, you're calling her Senator. Like it was he was actually exposing oh, wow. that the senator was being sexist. Yeah. He was like, I'm talking to a member of this committee who who attacked my band. He was like, I'm not labeling her as anyone's wife. You're labeling her as someone's wife. He like totally flipped the script and made them look sexist and stupid. Uh, I watched the entire if you if if you're interested, you the the whole half hour testimony is a, is up on YouTube. And I watched it last night. My favorite thing that D. Snyder says in this is they start asking D. Snyder's like at the time uh, he was 30 and he had a three year old son. He had his first kid. And um, they said, you know, D. Snyder was like, listen. It's like the one thing I agree with with the PMRC is it's up to the parents like you need to be you need to be listening to what your kids bring home. You need to go. You need to watch movies. And they were like, well, how can you how can you listen to every song on every album? You have you have two working parents. He was like, listen, a lot of times the album artwork will tell you he's like, I'm a Christian. So if I see an album that's that's got a, a lady spread eagle with a with a pentagram, you know, uh, over her privates and 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 there's there's hellfire. He was like, I'm I'm probably not going to let my I'm not going to let my kids take that, you know, and he said, or the song titles will tell you everything. He said, I'm a Christian, so I wouldn't write a song about burning in hell, by the way. Like Chip mentioned before, there's a song on that album called Burn in Hell. Yeah. Which nobody in the committee brought. I was like, I didn't even realize it till afterwards when I was looking through their discography. I was like, wait, he literally has a song called Burn in Hell on that album. Yeah. And not one of them like raised their hand and was like, wait, that's not entirely true. You're gonna burn in hell. But um, so my favorite thing they said to him, they were like, well, they said, uh, your son's three now. But when he's when he's 12, would would you take him out on tour with you and and expose him to this heavy metal lifestyle and let him see what what you what these fans are like and, and what goes on with women at these shows? And T. Snyder goes, I'm a 30 year old millionaire because in nine years I'm going to be retired. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm not taking my kid anywhere because I'm going to be able to I'm, I'm setting up a life where I'll be able to spend all the time in the world with my kids. Great line. Yeah. yeah. I was like, he asked, that's the way that's the my plan with my dog, Franklin, in five years, I'll be a millionaire <laughs> and he and I are just going to hang out. <laughs> well, we've already made our first million off this podcast, so I figure yes, another another 10 episodes. We, we should be up to multi. 
Yeah. So um, then, you know, then then they start to they start to sputter out. the The next album doesn't sell nearly as well. Um, they have a hard time getting. Their, their single was uh, the first single off the next album was called Be Cruel to Your School. And uh, I watched the video last night, MTV banned it. So they, they couldn't even get, you know, their a, a follow up to We're Not Gonna Take It video uh, on MTV because it was they were like all the kids were zombies. And I was I was starting to watch and I'm like, well, what the fuck? Like Thriller had zombies. But mm-hmm. then like halfway through, it gets really bloody and really gory. And I could see you could see why MTV banned it. And by um, the way, just for our listeners here, if, you, if you're if you not into that bloody gory stuff, uh, don't check out any of Blake's albums. No, no, it's all hell and gore and dead dead zombie kids basically is yeah my brain my brand of humor they had like yeah they had like the lunch lady you see her like chopping something up and then they pan down and it's she's cutting off a zombie kid's head and blood spurting out everywhere well i feel like that would be helpful though <laughs> i mean if you're trying to kill a zombie like if it's just a kid no but yeah he's, she's killing a zombie i don't see anything wrong with that mm. but like that's also the time too it's like the late 80s uh nirvana's right around the corner and hair metals kind of going by the wayside anyway. Right. Yeah. So it's so and then they, they did one more follow up album that wasn't even really the band. It was like a D. Snyder solo album, but they wouldn't put it out if he didn't say yeah, it was Twins and Sister. Yeah. So even though it was him and all studio musicians, but they took a band photo for the back cover and just labeled it Twisted Sister. Yep. They, they never reached the heights that they did of I thought this story was so interesting because it takes them 12 or 13 years to get to the top. It's almost like they wanted to get to the top just to be like, hey, fuck you. I We told you we could do it. Right. Like they, they had to prove it to everybody. It, it's this very slow, long climb up to the top. And then the fall is like almost instantaneous. Right. Yeah. Like, but then so that but they go off and like do other projects like the different members, you know, have different bands throughout the years. Even D. Snyder does that. And then D. Snyder, I mean, has had a pretty there was one point where I thought this was interesting. I think it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, where he said he was penniless, like he lost all his money, which I'm kind of surprised at that. I mean, that, that's something I read at one yeah. point. But but he's obviously made it back and he's done radio. He does uh, the House of Hair, which is the syndicated radio show he was hosting on MTV. I mean, he was doing that for years um, and and really ma- he made a Christmas musical. I would love to see this Christmas musical that he did. First of all, he wrote a Christmas song that I think Celine Dion sang on, sang on. Uh, they did. They actually performed uh, on Leno a couple a number when Leno was still on the air. Uh, they performed all Oh Come All Ye Faithful like as a band. Uh, to we're not going to take it, which is amazing. It's on YouTube. It's awesome. Yeah. And then he, D. Snyder went on. He was on. He was on the the Apprentice as well. And Blake, weren't you a? Uh, you, you were a fan of uh, the Apprentice uh, D. Snyder years. I loved it. I loved it so much. It was like I used to be obsessed with that show. Now in hindsight, it's like not as funny. But it was. A, <laughs> Wait, it why? Was, um, why? Because of what happened with Dennis Rodman. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Because yeah, of the whole absolutely. Dennis Rodman. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But he was like on that. Sh- it was we were, you know, it's like even t- just 
at the time, you know, 2013, I think is what it was. You know, it was Gary Busey, like D Snyder. And then, you know, everyone on that show are people, you know, you were saying that he went penniless in early 2000s. That explains why, you know, people who are doing well don't appear on a show like that generally. So um, generally they're trying to revitalize their careers. And he was a guy where, you know, the whole storyline throughout the whole thing where everybody was treating him like he was an idiot, you know, but, and then everyone was so impressed that, you know, he could string a sentence together and he was like a fairly intelligent guy. I remember it was like, so like a thing that stuck out to me then, but anyway, yeah, no, it's, I almost, I, I feel like even talking about that show now, after seeing how like well thought out right. this podcast is completely devalues. the entire. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a, it's a great season. Lil John's in it. Give it, give it a, I don't know what happened to the host, but give that show. A- <laughs> <laughs> Did he get kicked off Twitter for something? Yeah, yeah I think something. So. Cancel yeah. culture. Yeah. <laughs> he, I saw an interesting interview. So, like, D. Snyder's, uh, he's a Republican, he's conservative, he's friends with Trump. So, I saw mm-hmm. a interview with him from 2016 when Trump was still running. It was before the election. And uh, Larry King was interviewing him. And um, D. Snyder said that... Uh, Trump called and asked him if he could use we're not going to take it at his campaign rallies. Hmm. And they were friends. So he was like, yeah, of course you can. No problem. And so Trump starts using it like that night as as the main song. And he said he thought it was like super classy that Trump called to, to ask. But then he said as Trump started campaigning and getting more and more outrageous with some of the shit he was saying, he he started to get uncomfortable with it. Like because you'd see it on the news and he'd hear his song behind Trump saying this outrageous shit. And then when he said he wanted to get rid of Muslims, D. Snyder picked up the phone and called him and said, you got to do me a favor and stop using that song. I, I can't I, I can't I can't co-sign this. And he said, I guess Trump, to his credit, stopped using it that night, like never used it again. But then it's weird because then Trump just started using songs of people that asked him not to use it. And he never responded. Right. Um, and then, yeah. But then D. Snyder also said that, like, Larry King asked him, he was like, so he, he's a friend of yours. Or are you voting for him? And D. Snyder was like, absolutely not. I'm voting for Hillary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I thought I that was the thing. Great, like great. Like he has Trump had a skill set that made him one of the greatest reality TV hosts ever. Like that's why that that show was so funny and so good. But you know that's maybe he's a good friend to d snyder but you can be a good friend and a good talk show host and be the worst president of all time. You know what I mean? Like these are separate jobs. They're separate separate arenas. Yes. Yeah. No, I liked him as a game show host. He was great. Yeah. He was hilarious. Yes. I, I could have watched that shit all day. Yeah. I, I don't want to be I, I don't want to be like super uh, hipster about this, but like I remember first becoming aware of Trump in like I was like 10. It was like in the mid late 80s. And like when he was becoming like he had a board game out and he's like his hotels in Atlantic City and all. And I remember everybody was like, this guy's the height of he's a millionaire. And he's like that. I'm like, this guy's a schmuck like i was like this guy is stupid and like i was like 10 i was like how can nobody see that this guy isn't stupid and just an asshole and people like no he's great and then uh 
but then but then I, obviously i changed my mind and voted for him twice and uh thought <laughs> yes, he was a course, great fellow yeah but yeah, yeah. no i remember well, you wanted to give like, him a chance i think that's the thing that frustrated me the most is like i was a 10 year old in the late 80s and and i knew then i was like this guy sucks and and nobody else believed me and uh <laughs> Yeah, I'll take that's I, like I the one thing like I don't I don't find bands like too much before anybody. I'm not like I wasn't like super in on like a film director before like he got big. It's like, oh, I knew Taika Waititi when he was first doing it. It's like, no, it's like this is the one thing that I can claim. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I didn't see the strokes in like, you know, 1999. But like, you know, I, you know, I, I, I picked this one up. See, I always knew him as the guy who just didn't help Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone 2. And I was like, ah, fuck that dude. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not helping the Culk, then you're not getting my vote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think we said it all today. Um, Yeah, I I think we did. I want to see. D. Snyder's Christmas musical. I, it's got to be amazing. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I am a they, fan of Christmas stuff. They also they did an album. They did a very twisted Christmas. Blake, are any of your albums Christmas themed? Not yet, but the next one, and it'll be released in August. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and that's like the weird thing too, where like you talked about the campaigning with that song. Like the senators were so beside themselves about how terrible. Yes. This, and now oh, interesting. literally yeah. on both sides at different rallies. It's used he D Snyder, I saw he released, I don't know how long ago, but in recent years, released like a very serious version of We're Not Gonna Take It. And it was basically a video, like a mom is I'm assuming a mom is getting her head shaved in the video to like support her daughter who was like going through chemo. We've got the right to choose it There ain't no way we'll lose it This is our life This is our song We'll fight the powers that be just Don't pick our destiny cause You don't know us you don't belong and it was like all these facts about how like childhood cancer is this and that and like we need to help them and like he sang this very serious version of like we're not going to take this anymore like we need to help these kids with cancer and like so like it totally turned on what they thought it was in the well, early 80s i read i read an interesting follow-up so a few years ago was the um I guess like the I guess 2014 probably was the 30th anniversary of the PMRC hearings and they interviewed D Snyder as like a 30 year follow up and he was like well he was like here's what I know he was like I'm still married to my wife Alan Tipper Gore divorced uh my kids have never been in any trouble all their kids have been arrested for possession so he was like, maybe I wasn't the problem, you know, with with their family. Maybe, maybe it wasn't me that 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 yeah created some problems mm-hmm. in that family. Um, which I also thought, like thirty years later, that's also kind of like pretty petty to <laughs> to be like <laughs> amazing. Well, his kids got arrested and mine didn't. Um. <laughs> But then also I was like reading how uh, then, you know, like Clinton started running on when Clinton ran. He was like the rock and roll president 
And then he had like Al Gore and the second lady who was against rock and roll. And like they'd already started distance distancing themselves from that. Like they Al Gore spent a lot of the, I guess, late 80s and early 90s trying to act like that hadn't been as big a deal to them as it was. Right. Can you imagine the staff on the Clinton campaign trying to find ways to make Al Gore look like just even average, you know, like just not like a total fucking nerd. Just just the sweat and all nighters they were pulling like uh, just distance him from the fucking uh, Jesus Christ. What could they like maybe slap some sunglasses on him? Give him some cool sunglasses. I don't know. Make him loosen up the top button on his collar for Christ's sakes. Like, what can we do here? You know what? You know what? They made him do it. They made him do a cameo like on an episode of Growing Pains where he's like a Beat Nick. Like, that's not. That's I don't not think he was in a breakdance crew. Also, is that why you started like doing major guest appearances on like Futurama and Family Guy after I a certain point? He was on Thirty Rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that you know that's so funny, Blake. You know what that reminds me of? This is a little off topic from Twisted Sister, but do you remember that lady a few years ago who got her face ripped off by a chimpanzee? Of course. Yeah. Uh, like Erica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was her, poor Erica. Her, her her friend had a pet. Do you, do you remember? Do you, like I still remember the day that that chimp tipper gored her face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what a sad, sad day. Uh, this is why you got to hang through even after when it sounds like we're about to wrap up. You never know what you're going to miss <laughs> right at the end. But when that. Do you remember the 911 call where it was just that lady was like, oh my God, this shit. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part. We don't of- know what to send. We don't know what that means. <laughs> do you need an ambulance? Do you need a. Lo- what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ken. <laughs> So that chimp ripped the lady's face off. And then like a year later, the lady was on Oprah, like to show, I guess, what happened to her face. And it was it was still pretty bad. Like it it looked like, yeah, it looked like a chimp did some damage to you. And But I remember like they sent her out like she came out and she had like a little scarf and a, and a like a little hat. And I just were like me and my friend were cracking up because we were like, what do you like? You think the wardrobe people were just looking at her like, what the fuck do we do? I don't know. Throw a hat on her. (laughs) Maybe maybe a hat will distract from the fact that she has no face. Just like one of those Steve Martin headbands (laughs) with the arrow going through. For a few birthdays ago, when we were living in Los Angeles, I got my girlfriend a, uh, like, she loves animals. So we went to this animal sanctuary, like, 30 miles north of Los Angeles. And you got to sit with the animals. And so, like, you would have, like, these monkeys crawling around and, like, you could, like, pet a kangaroo and stuff. And then, but they had, like, one, and this was for her birthday. This was my big gift for her, like, huge, spent a lot of money on it, put a lot of thought into it. And, there was a baboon there named Chrissy and it was just sitting on the table and like my girlfriend wasn't smiling or enjoying it. And I'm like, God damn it. Did I mess up this gift? Because I put so much work into it. And apparently she had like, she wasn't smiling or anything. And apparently I'm like, so after we were done with the monkeys and moved on to like an armadillo, I was like, are you enjoy? Like, did I do something wrong? Are you enjoying this? She goes, no, I read an article online right before we came here about chimps tearing people's faces off. (laughs) And that if you smile, they see your teeth as a sign of aggression. So I'm trying not to smile around the 
monkeys. And I thought she was just miserable, but she was just trying to protect her face. Yeah. And we have pictures where I'm joyous and then she just looks miserable because she uh, <laughs> thought smiling would get her head uh, ripped off by Chrissy. Wait, is yeah, Chrissy. Uh, yeah. Was that the Malibu wine safari? That was different. I know what you're talking about. This was uh, Animal Tracks, which is a really cool, amazing place. But yeah, okay. it was. Uh, yeah. But anyway, that was that was my face rip off story. And I and I think this was partially based on your recommendation, Blake. I, so when I was out, I was living out in L.A. for a couple months working on a show and my wife came to visit for a for a week. And I like wanted to show her the best time. And like, you know, mm-hmm. we've been apart for a while and I was like, I want to do everything great. And my wife is like the biggest animal lover in the in the world, like loves animals so much. And this Malibu wine safari where like they take you around, you get to like feed a giraffe and you get to do all this cool stuff. And then there's wine tastings. And I was like, this is right up her alley. She had never heard of it before. She she doesn't know this place exists. And I was going to keep it a secret until the day of. But I got too excited. So the day she arrived, uh, she was like, OK, so what are we doing? And then I was like, OK, I got to tell you, in three days, we're going to go to the Malibu Wine Safari. and It's going to be amazing. And, and, you know, all this great stuff. And so she starts looking it up online. She's like, oh, my God, we're going to meet this animal. We're going to see this animal. I was like, yeah, it's great. That's when the fires hit in Malibu. Oh, no. And the place basically burnt down. And it was in the news all week that like these all of these Whitney Cummings was like trying to go save the animals. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Never even heard about was the place we were supposed to be. And they were just being ravaged by fires. I think I I believe and I could be wrong, but I think most of the animals actually got okay. But like it was most of them did, which means a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Which means there's a lot of dead animals at at the end of that. Yeah, that was brutal. Oh, my God. What terrible like not on your not your fault, but what terrible timing that was because to like I, I didn't have to put my wife through that and just it, what was going to be the greatest day just turned out into like a horrendous <laughs> week of her checking news and that is the story of twisted sister yes it is <laughs> god bless us everyone <laughs> wait real quick i just remembered i just now remembered one of the funniest onion headlines i ever saw in my life <laughs> it was during um the first like economic collapse under Bush, like when when the economy was real bad, I remember seeing a headline in the Onion that said, "Due to the failing economy, Twisted Sister announces they will now have to take it." <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've that was probably twenty years ago, and I still think about it all the time. <gasps> That's amazing. All right, Blake. I hope I hope you had fun. I did. This you, was a. You, are you kidding me? This was a blast. Great. Yeah, you were great. Do you have anything uh, that you want to plug for the people for Cardiac um, Forever? Yeah, I have like three stand-up albums out, and then uh, another album I did with Todd Glass, where I saved his voicemails to me for twelve years, and we released it as a uh, an album. So that's called Twelve Years of Voicemails from Todd Glass to Blake Wexler. And then I have a podcast called uh, Blake's Takes for God's Sakes. So uh, that's available as well and that's it no this was so much fun guys what a what a great podcast that's great yeah thanks, thank, yeah, thanks, thanks. for coming on man i appreciate that thank you uh, kenneth what do you got coming up i have um well, let me look quick i actually have some shit that i want to i have june wednesday june 23rd in south jersey at the collinswood art performance center i'll mm-hmm. be with jimmy schubert and then uh, Friday and Saturday, June 25th and 26th, I'm at Laugh It Up Poughkeepsie with Bonnie McFarlane. Nice. nice. That's great. Uh, speaking of June 25th and 26th, I will be at Good Nights in Raleigh, North Carolina, in the side room, the upstairs room, the more intimate room, the smaller room. Let's just put it out there. It's <laughs> okay. a smaller room. Uh, but I'll be there on the 25th and 26th, and you should come out and see me. Uh, and I'll be at Wisecrackers 
in at Mohegan Sun in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, on the 9th and 10th of July. And uh, follow me at Chip Chantry on all of the things. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's it. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, See thank you next you guys. week. Have a good week. Have a good week.